I was sharing with the prayer group this morning um, as we gathered together that, uh, that this, the message this morning is about giving. And it seems like it's always hard to talk to people, and particularly a church, about giving. Because immediately, you know, you think it's time for an offering, <laughs> that you want money. And, and what I, I'm wanting to, I guess, avoid this day is to, to uh, I guess, um, receive this message as, as something is to prompt or uh, to uh, solicit uh, giving in the sense that something that you've, you've got to do. And yet at the same time, it is the Lord who instructs us to give. And so I, I just ask as we, we look at the text this morning, we understand what is being expressed here as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth of what is really involved in making that gift in response to the gift that has been made for us, that inexpressible gift, Jesus Christ, the indescribable gift, Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. And you can follow along as it's projected before us this morning. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The transition of these seasonal emphases uh, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, it's easy. It just flows, you know, just moves from one season to the next. And before the leftovers are gone, the Christmas decorations are already up. And I imagine probably some of you have got yours up already. If not, probably this week as you're eating a turkey sandwich, you're putting lights on a tree and uh, hanging stockings. This all seems to go together. A season prompting thanks becomes a season of giving. From gratitude 
to the expression of generosity. Last week, Justin Nash instructed us, I think very clearly, in what it means to be truly thankful. And this morning, I hope that we can come to some understanding of what it means to truly give. The text we are looking at, uh, as I was reading William Barclay's commentary on this passage, he summarizes this way. He says, it's an outline of the principles of generous giving. It's to serve as instruction and how to make the gift, what's behind the gift, and why we give. The Apostle Paul was addressing the church in Corinth and reminding them of a pledge that they had made. And that pledge was to make a gift to the mother church in Jerusalem. As they were going through some pretty hard times, poverty had fallen upon the church in Jerusalem. And it was a number of things that contributed to it, and probably one of the greater things that contributed to it was the persecution that had come against the church itself. In the preceding chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul tells the Corinthians of the generous gift, the generous spirit of giving that was demonstrated by the Macedonian churches. I'm going to read it to you. It's found in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These churches wanted to give, even in the midst of their poverty, and giving really beyond their means, making sacrificial gifts to the church in Jerusalem. And this, Paul says, was not expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will of God to us. This tangible, materialistic gift, this offering that was taken among the churches in Macedonia, came from the heart. It was, yes, a gift of uh, materialism, uh, money, uh, an offering made that was tangible but it became really a spiritual gift as well, a measure of generosity. These Gentile Christians, remember, this is part of the Gentile world. These Gentile Christians, generous in love, generous in their offerings, were demonstrating to the Christian Jews in Jerusalem that they, the churches in Macedonia, truly understood what it was said when it was said one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of us all. This gift was saying so much about who these believers in Christ were. When they were suspect by the church, the home church, the mother church in Jerusalem, as to really were they followers of Christ, the generosity of their giving sacrificially giving, expressions of love for their brothers and sisters in Christ would certainly be something to consider as evidence of their faithfulness to the Lord. 
It was an expression motivated by their love for the Lord, love for their brothers and sisters of the faith, love for the church, and love for the message of the gospel. The motivation behind any gift should be love. As Tom, I think, said it before us, love conquers all. Yet, if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes the motives behind our giving might have a, a twinge of difference <laughs> on occasions. You know, sometimes we give out of a sense of obligation. It's our duty. We're supposed to do this. If it's a contribution, if it's an offering, even if it's a tithe, and it's made reluctantly, as if somehow the dues have to be paid, I have to say, and I believe the gospel would point out, it's not a gift. It's not to be received as a gift. There is no heart behind the begrudging gift, and therefore no heart behind the gift. It certainly isn't a gift. Another, I guess, approach in giving is sometimes we give because it makes us feel good. We, we like the feeling we have when we give something to someone or something. We don't give a whole lot of thought as to how it make, might make the recipient feel. We just do it for ourselves because we like the feeling. It's self-satisfying. It's self-fulfilling. This act of kindness is done in, in absence of thought of anyone else but ourselves. And such giving is truly an exercise of selfishness. We're not doing it for anybody but ourselves. People who like to give this way think of themselves rather than the one who is to receive the gift, the one who is in need. I often think uh, of the times when invitations are given to, to contribute to uh, people who are in need. Maybe, it, maybe it's a, a, a drive uh, for clothing. So we go through our closets and take all the things that we don't like anymore. <laughs> and, and maybe even worn to the point we won't wear them again. And we make that as our gift. It makes us feel good. And so how do you think the recipient feels when he sees the sweater that is stained or tattered as a gift to him or her? Some would even be appreciative of that, I'm sure. Sadly, at times, gifts are given for the sake of recognition. The motivation is not love. The motivation is pride. The gift is given not to help, but to glorify the giver. In fact, the chances are that if there wouldn't be recognition for the gift, would the gift be given at all? Uh, you know, when I was thinking about this, this motivation behind such a gift, the first thing that came to mind was Ananias and Sapphira, and we talked about them not too long ago. And as deceitful as they were in even lying about their gift, they were doing it for the simple reason of making impressions upon those around them, given out of pride of self. It may even be that the giving is done in order, get this, to, to pile up credit with God, you know, we give enough, we ought to make God happy, as if somehow we're, we're matching God's generosity towards us. You know, Jesus addressed this concern of how we are to give in Matthew 6, 
verses 2 through 4, when he, when he, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's speaking, he says, And when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the rewards in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your gift may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then the gift sometimes is made with a consideration as to what we might receive in return. The giver may expect anything from uh, a reciprocal gesture, you know, I give to you, you give to me kind of thing, or at least maybe a thank you for our generosity. Giving is not giving if we're looking for what's in it for me. Paul points out the fact that Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, that's a simple fact. The more seeds you sow, the better chance you have for a good harvest, a plentiful harvest. And the text also continues with this thought when Paul writes, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only su supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This idea is that God will bestow rewards in proportion to what is given. These rewards may refer to what we actually reap or glean from life experiences themselves, or it may be a reference to what we will receive in the coming of the kingdom, eternal life. Or both. But a word of caution here. These verses are often used to support the preaching of prosperity, the prosperity gospel. Um, the name it, claim it gospel. Such false teachings have been promoted by TV evangelists. Uh, I, I, I checked out one of our popular TV evangelists that uh, you can see on any Sunday morning. And this is, uh, this is his exact words in one of the sermons he preached. It is God's will for you to live in prosperity instead of poverty. And you must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself. Somehow, if we have enough faith, you know, God's going to bless us, and that faith is exercised, what do we, you know, how much we give, and giving thought also to whom we give it. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, addresses this concern of false teachers, and these who are in it for the gain. Paul singles out very clearly with the making the statement, their godliness is a means of gain. They're using the very gospel for themselves to benefit themselves. And again, in our giving, somehow we are expecting a return for ourselves. The return is that generosity first will foster generosity. Our open hand towards others 
alerts us to other ways to serve and to give. The generous kindness overflows into thanksgiving. The thankfulness that is, is expressed by the one who receives. Uh, the thankfulness to, to the fact that God is also appreciative of the gift that we give in honor of him. We are grateful. The people who receive are grateful, and God is pleased. Jesus speaks to this about how this all works when he, 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 he is addressing uh, the coming of the kingdom. And he says in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40, the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will say, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. <laughs> Jesus taught us that what we, do, uh, to, what we do to others, we do for God. And when every time we open our heart and our hand, we demonstrate our love for God and for our neighbor. It's a, it's a, it's a demonstration, truly, of the great commandment. The rewards are not measured in, in a materialistic uh, dimension. The reward is simply found that we receive, again, the wealth of a heart and a spirit that is like that unto Christ. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25 reads, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The generosity is returned to us by God's generosity towards us in, in more ways than, than just what we receive in regards to the, the tangible. It's the spirit, it's the heart that is shaped and molded more and more into the likeness of Christ. The pure motive in giving, as we said earlier, should be, as William Barclay wrote in his commentary, under, and this is in some ways paraphrasing what Tom has already said, under love's compulsion. To give because one cannot help but give. To give because the sight of a soul in need wakens a desire that cannot be still. This is, in fact, to give in God's way. It is because that he loved us, the fact that he loved the world, that God gave, gave the indescribable gift, the inexpressible gift, the unspeakable gift, and as the New Living Translation puts it, the gift too wonderful 
for words. His son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's gift surpasses any gift ever made by man. His, he selflessly gave himself to us in the person of Jesus, his son. And all true giving is to be done out of love for him. I chose Ephesians 2, 1 through 8 as the parallel text for it is a contrast of who we are outside of Christ and who we are in the name of Christ as we accept this inexpressible, this undescribable, this unspeakable gift, Jesus. For we were dead in the, pre- in the trespasses of our sins. We walked following the course of the world. We were caught up in a spirit, in, in, a, in, the, in following the prince, the spirit that is now worked within the sons of disobedience. We lived with a life that was full of our passions, carrying out our desires of the body and the mind. We were caught up in the, the natural response to a world around us. Like the rest of mankind, But God, being rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved, raised up with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is it. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. We're going to approach the table here. And these emblems set before us are to remind us of that inexpressible gift. A gift that goes beyond any measure of gratitude or, 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 or uh, generosity that we may demonstrate. We are the recipient of the most precious gift to be received, the Son of our God, living Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, gave himself up for you and for me. As we approach this table, understand it's an invitation to receive this gift. It's offered to you as one who has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as being your Lord and your Savior. You don't have to be a member of the church, this church, to partake of the elements. You have to be one who simply proclaims a deep love, an abiding love for Jesus, your Savior and your Lord. There needs to be the examination of oneself, of where you are right now in relationship to your brother and your sister, to those around you, your relationship with God himself. You are harboring any sin in your life, it must be confessed. There needs to be repentance before you approach this table. There has to be a total surrender 
of what Christ has done for us on the cross, to be cleansed of our sins and to turn our ways towards him. And so as we come together, let us come upon the invitation of Jesus himself when he says, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Drink you all of it. This is my blood which is shed for the remission of your sins. Do all this in remembrance of me, that me being Jesus Christ, the inexpressible, the indescribable, the gift too great for words. Let us pray. Humble us, Lord, as we come before this table now upon your invitation. Rid us of any expectation of what we deserve, for if we were to receive what we would deserve, what we deserve, it would not be our desire at all. You have offered to us life, as you have given up your life for each one of us. You have given up your life for a world that is lost to sin. Why? Because you love us. Thank you, Lord, for paying the price for our sins and allowing us to come into fellowship at this table with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.